Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is meet the champion. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Jellicle Ball. Who are my other cats on a hot tin roof with me? Well, it's me, Sister Woman Sarah, and I've got (laughs) a special brother man also with us. I do declare (laughs) it is me, Caleb Bunn. Big Caleb, you can call me. You know, this was I, I I this is not the joke I was gonna make, but I did think of one part where they're like, he is a big P I G hog. And I was like, that's not what that spells. <laughs> and I thought one of us might go for that. <laughs> um all right. I wanted to do the sister woman, but uh. <laughs> well, all right. So this is the 31st Academy Awards we're at. There was a film of nine. There were two films with nine nominations. One of them is GG, which won all nine. It won Best Picture, Best Director for Prince Minnelli, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Scoring of a Musical, Best Song, which was GG from GG, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, Color, and Best Film Editing. The other film of nine nominations was The Defiant Ones. It won two. It won Best Original Screenplay and Best Cinematography, Black and White. Then there was a film with seven nominations titled Separate Tables. It won two. It won Best Actor for David Niven. Did I pronounce his name right? Please, God. Niven, yes. Yes, I got it this time. And Best Supporting Actress for Wendy Hiller. And then there were three films with six nominations. One of them was titled, I Want to Live! With the explanation point at the end. It won Best Actress for Susan Hayward. And then there were two films with six nominations and no wins. And one of them, which we'll be talking about this week, is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So, what was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof nominated for? Uh, yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to Gigi. Uh, Best Director for Richard Brooks, who lost to Vincent Minnelli. Uh, Richard Brooks was nominated five more times for both directing and writing, including writing Blackboard Jungle. Uh, he won for writing Elmer Gantry. Uh, Best Actor for Paul Newman, who lost to David Niven for Separate Tables. Um, Paul Newman was nominated eight more times and won for The Color of Money, uh, plus two honorary awards. Best Actress for Elizabeth Taylor, who lost to Susan Hayward Hayward for I Want to Live. Uh, She was nominated two more times uh, and she won two plus one honorary. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for Richard Brooks and James Poe. um, And they lost to Alan J. Lerner for Gigi. Uh, Poe was nominated two more times and won for Around the World in 80 Days, and Best Cinematography Color, which I just realized when I was looking this up that last year there was no distinction between color and black and white. This year they brought it back. Um, But Best Cinematography Color (laughs) for William Daniels, um, and he lost to Joseph Ruttenberg for Gigi. Uh, William Daniels was nominated two more times and won for Naked City. That's so weird. I just looked it up. You're right. I mean, I know you're right. You wouldn't just say that. That's like, whoa, that's so weird. They switched it up just for a year. Probably the cinematographers were like, no, this is dumb. <laughs> Caleb, do you have historical context? I do. 
Um, so cat on a hot tin roof has depending on the play or the movie, which version you're watching a certain amount of, uh, gay content in it. Um, it's played down in the movie, which, uh, Tennessee Williams wasn't exactly happy with. And I think Paul Newman was a little, uh, annoyed about as well, but that made me think, Hey, it would probably be a good time to look into what, what it was like for, uh, for gay people in the 1950s, obviously not good. Um, the beginning of the 1950s saw, uh, the government making it, uh, illegal, not only for gay people to serve into the, serve in the military, but also, uh, any other government, uh, civil ser- servant perdition, any other civil servant position, which led to the lavender scare, uh, which corresponded with the red scare where a lot of people lost their jobs because they were gay. This was most evidently in the government, but that also extended into the private sector as well. Um, also in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association labeled homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance in the DSM. Um, however, there were uh, people who were fighting against this. In the mid-50s, you had the Daughters of Belitis which was a um, lesbian rights organization, and they did a lot of stuff, especially around um, lesbian bars and clubs, opening those up. Um, And uh, at the beginning of the 1950s, you had a um, just really fascinating figure in the civil rights and gay rights movement, Polly Murray. They were um, instrumental in creating the foundation for Brown v. Board of Education, uh, in their book, States Laws on Race and Color. Um, but they were also gender nonconforming and uh, did a lot for uh, gay rights as well as civil rights. Um, and in 1958, there was a landmark Supreme Court case called One Inc. versus Olson, which basically allowed homosexual uh, publications to exist. Um, because before then, they were declared obscene material by the U.S. Postal Service and FBI, um, but the Supreme Court came down and was like, doing that is a a violation of First Amendment rights. So there you go, Supreme Court. In the past, you did good things. Yeah, as much as that, and that was very interesting. I'm going to take it back to the Oscars, because we're going to give a little Oscar history to um, and that's because obviously I, I, you know, I'll, I'll say this right now about Cat on Hot Tim Roof. Well, I started, you know, when I started, I was like, all right, let's look at this is about. And I see on Letterboxd, this is a man grapples with his sexuality. I'm like, oh, this might be interesting. And then I don't really think it's evident in the film at all, but we can get into that when we actually talk about the movie. But to, to start with something you might've guessed, Gigi won nine Oscars, which broke the record of eight Oscars that was previously set by Gone with the Wind and tied with by From Here to Eternity and On the Waterfront. However, this is short-lived because the next ceremony breaks. There's this little movie called Ben-Hur that we'll talk about in a couple weeks. All right. And that movie wins 11. (laughs) Gigi is also the last film to the last emperor to win best picture without any acting nominations. Um, And, Coincidentally, it is also the biggest clean sweep at the time, which is a record that is tied by The Last Emperor as well. This record holds until 2003, 
when the Lord of the Rings Return of the King gets wins all 11 of its nominations. Um, the ceremony was hosted by an ensemble of actors, Jerry Lewis, Mort Saul, Tony Randall, Bob Hope, David Niven, and Laurence Olivier. Since David Niven won Best Actor that night, that makes him the only host in Oscar history to win an award in the same ceremony of him hosting. So, get wrecked, James Franco. Colin Firth beat you. You suck. Also, coincidentally, this is a show that the producer was worried that it was going to go over time, so they started cutting numbers from it. However, the ceremony ended 20 minutes too early, and all the hosts abandoned poor Jerry Lewis on stage to try to fill the time, which is riffing. And th thus, NBC just cut to a rerun of sports. And the final bit of news I have from this Oscar ceremony that I think is personally kind of cool is way back in our, well, second episode of the show, we did a little movie called The Love Parade. And the star of The Love Parade is Maurice Chevrolet. 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 I'm sorry, just help me out here. Maurice Chevalier. And I do Cheval believe in that episode, I did say that he starred in Gigi. Oh, well, he does not get nominated for Gigi, but he does win an honorary award for it. Well, not for it. He It's an honorary award for contributions to the world of entertainment for over a half a century. So maybe maybe it was something where they already decided they were gonna, I don't know the timeline. Maybe they decided he was going to get the honorary award and as such, they did not nominate him. Maybe they were embarrassed. He got snubbed and they gave him He sings a song that goes, it's like, thank heaven for little girls. Gigi mm -hmm. is about grooming. <laughs> it's not a good movie. Uh, I have no idea what it's about. It's just going to say, Gigi. <laughs> All right, so cat on a hot tin roof. What'd you guys think? Or do you want me to say what I thought? Well, I feel like there's one other detail of the ceremony we have to say, and that is uh, who won Best Supporting Actor that year. Oh, yeah. Burl Ives wins for this movie. What's it called? You have it open. I closed the tab. <laughs> What's the movie called? Do you not have it open? The Big Country. Yeah, which let me say, um, I haven't seen the big country, but I feel like it's always weird when this happens where it's like Burl Ives, like, you know, the actor's in a really big Oscar contender, and they're also in a smaller one. And then they get nominated for the smaller one. I always think that's kind of weird. Um, so Burl Ives just won for this, you know, we wouldn't be doing this episode. <laughs> um, but I, I have no idea what that how that movie is. Maybe it's good. I don't know. It's just unusual. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a recent example that I definitely feel like there have been some where it's like, oh, you know, I think of I think of Laura Dern winning for Marriage Story when her performance of Little Women is so much better. That's that's my hot take dropped. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, Caleb's like, I hated Laura Dern and Little Women. And Sarah's like, I hated Little Women. <laughs> I do not hate Laura Dern and Little Women. How dare you put words in my mouth when the movie she should have been nominated for that year was star wars did that well, come out that year no. yeah i mean she did definitely it? had a good role in the rise of skywalker that's <laughs> the year the rise of skywalker comes out so did if you it? want to give her the award for that line where they go like oh that holdo was reckless listen <laughs> once a year her. ends once a year ends i completely forget what movies came out it's gonna be really funny when we get to the uh the um 2010s will be like and you'll be like yeah wasn't this the year like well maybe we'll talk about fox catcher and be like yeah but you know like mark ruffalo was way worse than spotlight i'll be like it's not that's next year <laughs> you'll be like what <laughs> like, stuff like that all the time <laughs> but anyway cat on hot tin roof 
What do you guys think? There's a movie that came out this year. Did it come out this year? It came out this 2022 year. 2022 this year or this year? 2022. Okay. It came out this year, I think. Uh, if you're wrong, I'll be like, no. Called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It did come out this year, yes. Okay. It, came out it stars Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. When I watched this movie, <laughs> Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Paul Newman <laughs> and Elizabeth Taylor <laughs> remind me of Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Paul Newman, <laughs> Paul Newman being, well, what I mean by this is you have an actor who's really, really good, just very nuanced, just gives so much to a performance, and then you have the other one. Um, Paul Newman is definitely the Pedro Pascal of this movie. <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor is definitely the Nick Cage of this movie. See, go on. I, 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 I Maybe just, we should give our general takes first and then talk about this. Okay, I just, <laughs> I have I, I have hot takes about Elizabeth Taylor, I guess. But you know what? To me, she'll always be the grandma from the Flintstones movie. <laughs> so. I've never seen it. Caleb, you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll go. I overall enjoyed this. I think that's more because of the play than anything else. Um, I haven't seen Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, but yeah, I just... This feels like a pretty, uh, it gets the rhythm down that you would also get on stage. And obviously Burl Ives was also on in the original production. So I don't think anything that draws me into this story is unique to the film. Um, and I think the film is missing one key part that kind of makes the story a little less impactful than um, I would assume the play is. That being said, I still enjoyed it. Still had a good time. I think this is a movie. Well, first, you know how last week I was like, this is like a, the last time I was like, this is like a prototypical American beauty or like little children or like the suburban malaise subgenre of Oscar bait. Maybe this is more because of its performance of the Oscars where it doesn't win a lot. But this to me feels like the prototypical, like nowadays, like we get an August Wilson movie every five years where it's just the play they shot. You know, and it's like, well, we're we're going to nominate it for a lot, but we're not going to really award it much. And thing is, with those movies and with this, well, specifically with this, but I think this applies to those movies. I think both those movies are really good acting wise. I think you have three actors really sinking their teeth into something, a really good script, obviously, because it's like a classic American play. And it's just electric when those three in any combination are sharing scenes if the scene is part of the original show <laughs> because i think there is one sequence of this movie that i just immediately lost interest in and i looked it up afterwards and sure enough it's a scene they added for the movie <laughs> but i also think that when it's not elizabeth taylor paul newman burl ives my interest wanes a bit too um but i do think also yeah this is pretty good this is a good movie this is like i think one of the few times i think all of us are gonna be like yeah, this was good. Like, like this is a classic that's good. Sarah's gonna be like, I didn't actually think it was I good. didn't. Here's but. the thing. Here's the thing. I really wanted to like this movie. I do to an extent, but I honestly feel like it was kind of poorly made. Like the editing was really off. And like I mean, I feel sorry, go on. Sorry. I don't want to like the you sound editing in particular was just not good. I think that the lack of an original score is really distracting. Because oh, the, I think the score is bad, yeah. The stock music that, that they use is just ridiculous. 
I just, I think that the performances are so over the top with the exception of Paul Newman that I just feel like it's so, like the sister is so ridiculous. Okay, I'm giving I'm giving Sarah a face right now for Elizabeth Holmes. I think Burl Lives is- I think Burl Lives is like, good, I'm but like, I- Elizabeth Taylor I can see being divisive, but I think Burl Lives is very good in this. I think he's good, but I think that the character is so big that for me, it just doesn't even feel like a real person. I just, I don't, I don't, it just, I really want to like this movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie by any means. I just think that because it's so much like a play, there's all this back and forth you cut between these characters and these characters and these characters and these characters, and it feels like there's no progression going on. It just feels like they're having the same conversations over and over again, and the editing doesn't really help because it just feels like, I, it just, it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a movie to me i don't know it doesn't feel well, like this I, classic I, movie to me isn't that something that like i feel like people say i, I don't want to be like yeah i'm right because like you're you're because you, that's what people said about ma rainey's black bottom and fences right i'm like yeah you're right like these are just but no you, i i see where you're coming from on this too um also i want to push back now because now we've given our general thoughts on i think it's really interesting that you think Paul Newman is the Pedro Pascal and Elizabeth Taylor is Nicholas Cage. I because, certainly okay. do. No, 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 no. Because I feel like in talent, you can say that. Sure. Like, I'm not like, I think Taylor is very divisive. And I don't want to be like, yo, she's divisive as if like, that's like a known fact. But I can 100% see where that's coming from. When I think about that movie, I feel like Pedro is going for such a big performance. And Nicholas Cage is doing something more subdued. And ergo, well, Nicholas K ergo would be the other way around because no, Elizabeth Taylor is like so he, big in this. <laughs> he does, Pedro does go big, but the scenes where he's like acting, like he's so like, it's just like so zeroed in. And it's like Nick Cage never has had that ability. He has never been a good actor. <laughs> this is my take. He's okay. a horrible actor and he always has been. So... And honestly, just, Elizabeth Taylor might be the same way. Okay. Okay. Is Burl Ives, Tiffany Haddish, or Neil Patrick Harris? <laughs> Don't get me started on Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris in that movie, to me, broke the entire movie. I'm like, you can't have Neil Patrick Harris, the actor who always shows up in playing himself, be in this movie playing someone who's not Neil Patrick Harris. I can't, like, he always plays himself. Like, you can't have me buy him as a character if Nicolas Cage is playing himself. Sorry. <laughs> I just I think there's something there's something on the page that is leading to these performances. There is a clear dichotomy in Elizabeth Taylor's character and Paul Newman's character where you have extreme apathy with counterposed against extreme desire. Um and this leads into this very archetypical kind of thing with the woman who is married into wealth and thus doesn't want to let go of it. And I think that can lead Taylor to definitely playing it a little bit bigger than uh, Newman. However, I think early in the movie, and I like Newman overall, but I think early in the movie, I'm not sure how much of it is she's trying to be, or she's being too big. I wonder if it's a little bit of Newman's kind of hanging her out to dry. That's like maybe what, yeah, Newman yeah. needs to be playing up a bit. I think, I think they're both very good in this. I think though, to me, and I think I think I eventually did come around to where Caleb's saying where it's like I think Newman wasn't Newman. 
I think Elizabeth Taylor, I think Paul Newman is the only one of the three actors that, this is where I'm kind of agreeing with you, Sarah. I think Paul Newman is the only one of these three actors that's giving a movie performance. I think everyone else is doing a stage performance that's being filmed. Yes. And I think Burl Ives is better at doing that because the character is so big. You know, yes. like the character. So it's like, yeah, sure, I buy that it's a stage performance that I'm watching. The thing is that I think Burl Ives is giving a really great stage performance where I think Elizabeth Taylor is doing a, yeah, cool, I paid to see Elizabeth Taylor type of performance where it's it's good. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I just think, I guess she, I'm not saying, it took me a while to get into her, basically. I think at the beginning of, before Big, uh, before Burl Ives shows up to match her, I'm just like, what is she doing compared to Paul Newman? But then once Burl Ives enters the picture, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's Paul Newman who's like taking it low. But yeah, I just like, feel like, I don't not to talk too much about like Paul Newman's other works, but I just feel like. Paul is in Cars 3? Sorry. Is he in Cars 3? Is there archive, archive yes. sound? You don't remember? Oh my God, that was so controversial when it came out. I was like, cause I, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like deleted scenes from the first Cars that they had the art, the, it's in the archives. They're like, well, let's just use this audio we didn't use and put it here and like write a scene around the audio we have. And it was just like very weird. <laughs> hmm yeah interesting no uh no what i was gonna say is i just when you look at like paul newman's other work especially like cool hand luke which is one of my favorites from him he's he he has these like his performances are so subdued like that's who he is as an actor he's just very subdued he's very he's always very chill he's cool he's cool hand luke and like i just i feel like it works so well in this because like you said, I think that everybody else is being a stage actor, especially for our lives. I think Elizabeth Taylor, I think, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's a combination of the, of the accent. I don't know if it's just, it's just like this meaty role that she's got. It's just like, she's so over the top and she's so like, this movie just, it's, it's meant to be, but it's irritating to me. You have all these kids and they're loud and they oh, play no, these we instruments got and it's no. just and then she's whiny and then the mom is whiny oh, and wait. then Bro Ives is shouting and it's just irritating. Can we talk about the kids? Because I gotta say, <laughs> I've always been someone who's like, I cannot wait to grow up and be a dad. But then you know, sometimes you come across a movie like this where you're like, oh, I never want children. <laughs> The idea of being stuck with these kids is just terrible. But then I, you know, I also can't longer like it because I felt like around the back 30 minutes of the movie, I'm like, okay, these kids are terrible because their parents are terrible. Oh, yeah. And they're all a... the... Well, I don't think you get the quite at the beginning where like the parents are like barely in it at the beginning. And then it's just these kids like being so obnoxious. <laughs> that sister wife. Um, the sister woman, <laughs> sister, woman. Uh, sister woman, that's it, sister that's woman, sister wife. different kind of movie, um, so a little bit too far north for that. Um, sister woman, the actress playing her has the most hateable face imaginable. <laughs> I'm sure she, she was a lovely does, lady though. in real life. Yeah. Uh, oh my word! From moment one, I did not trust this woman. I'm I'm not gonna say who, obviously, because I don't think my friend listens to this podcast. But someone who has previously guested on another podcast of mine, their mom looks exactly like her. It <laughs> threw me off so much. One of her best, her one of her best known roles is playing Reverend Mother Placido in The Flying Nun. Don't you think she has such a sweet face to play a I mean, nun? 
Wait, is she flying nun? Did you say flying no, nun? No, she's she... not, no. Sally Field is a flying nun. She plays. Oh, she plays I was the Reverend maybe she's Mother. A witch. I thought maybe she was a. You witch. know the flying <laughs> nun <laughs> with Sally Field? No, I don't know. I was just hoping she'd be a flying nun. <laughs> Wait, it's no. like about a nun who like. It's literally just a nun a who flies. That's it. Wait, it's does a she like fly? Is, no, does she fly magically or does she have a? No, flying? she her little habit. It like it. <laughs> It picks Wait, up the wind. So I'm serious. <laughs> this is this is a real movie, Danny. I've never heard of this movie. No, it's, it's a show. It's a TV that? show. It's a show. Yeah. What? Yes. Oh, see, I thought it was a movie. No. Okay, never mind. It's a oh TV my gosh. show. You seriously you never heard of this before? It was, was like this comics. was like Sally Field's breakthrough, right? Yes. This was like it's her on big crackle. TV. I'm sure you never heard of this before. We would never, if we had never gotten this, we would have never gotten Aunt May and Amazing Spider Man. This is insane. Yeah. Um, She's a flying nun. The kids are very effective as like a, it's like a tension ratcheter in this movie because they are always singing or playing instruments. It is so annoying. And then they start running around and like pretending to shoot. Elizabeth Taylor with like toy guns and it uh, no I I ooh I wanted to punt these children and these, I love kids I, mm, I love these. like the kids are where I finally landed on what this reminded me of this was gonna be my other intro joke that I didn't use is that you know I've been watching House of the Dragon recently and this is like House of the Daddy because like, that is what House of the Dragon is about is, you know, like who's going to take over for this king after he dies. And it's all this politicking. And one of them has like the like the son that you want, like the grandkids you want. And the other one doesn't have like doesn't have an heir that you want, you know. And I was like, yeah, this is just House of the Daddy. <laughs> um, can we circle back real quick, Sarah, um, because you brought up Cool Hand Luke, uh, yes. which is great movie. Um, do you think that Paul Newman is a little ahead of the curve here where you can kind of start seeing the 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 like style of acting that would come into like fashion in the 60s and 70s and it's maybe just not there yet? I think I mean I think you know we have these like legendary names like you know Paul Newman and I guess Elizabeth Taylor but like, well, like when we talked about It's a Wonderful Life and Jimmy Stewart, I think that there's a certain type of actor who just is able to just transcend the era that they're in. I think Jimmy Stewart is a fantastic example, just fantastic actor. I think Paul Newman is at that same level. I think that I do think that he's a little bit ahead of, you know, that well, sort of like. This is like his first big movie. Yeah. To, to be, yeah. This is but like I just, where he begins. I think his acting is just on that level of just there's such an understanding of screen acting versus what I think people are still doing, which is stage acting or, you know, it's, it's just, and I mean, he, he continued to be nominated for Oscars up until, you know, 2002 or whatever it was for road to perdition. So I think that mm-hmm. there's, he just has an understanding of not subtlety tradition, in my opinion, because well, he was nominated. <laughs> they should have nominated someone else for that movie. I don't know who I'd have to open up the Wikipedia page for the tradition who I liked in it. Daniel Craig? Like, who do you want? Actually, yeah, I think Daniel Craig is my favorite performance in that movie. Now you mention it. I really do like Daniel Craig in that movie. I also like Daniel Craig in Munich. Basically, Daniel Craig pre-Bond is always exciting. Um, Well, my point is just, I think when you're good, you're good. When you got it, you got it. 
And I think that Paul Newman is definitely one of those people. Yeah. Mm. He's good. I don't like I I I can't disagree, you know. Like I think the only other Paul Newman movie I've seen besides Road to Perdition and Cars is um Butch Cassidy. He's in that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is he's great in that too. But I don't think I've seen any other Paul Newmans besides the Cars movies and uh Road to Perdition. Which I don't think Road to Perdition counts either, because that's like old. We're not we're talking about like prime Paul Newman, you know. We're not talking old elder statesman Paul Newman. I mean, I've also had some Paul Newman dressing. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent of the go. of the profits <laughs> go to charity. Paul Newman dressing is actually in the fridge of Robert Redford and Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So technically, Captain America and the Winter Soldier is a Paul Newman movie. So I gotta ask, since well, it's more because Sarah, you brought up the direction, but do you think this is better directed or worse directed than the last Richard Brooks movie we saw, which was Blackboard Jungle? I'm just asking, like, the technical aspects of this film. I mean, it's better directed, but I think it's just, again, I think it's just a case of having more talented actors. I think the, <laughs> I think the script oh, is much better. Oh, you think all three of these people are more talented than Sidney Poitier? How dare you? No, I mean, he was good at it, but he didn't have the material. The material's not there. I know, there. I know. I'm just being annoying. <laughs> like, I think that, I think that there's just, there's just such a, it's just the script is so much better. I think that they the actors have a much better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that Blackboard Jungle was just it was just I don't know. The messaging was just not is just not clear. And I, you know, the messaging of this movie is not clear either. However, I think that I understood it a lot more than maybe you guys did. Wow. Oh, that. I think I understood it after I went and read. We don't understand the this play. No, I don't mean it like that. I just mean like, I just mean Sorry. like, I just to me it was like very. I was just like, oh, okay, they were gay. Like it wasn't like, I don't know. To me, I didn't have. I mean, I, I got that time. eventually, but I no, I'm not. I think it's there, but I think it's vague enough that you know, like someone who goes see this movie is like. Oh yeah, they were gay. Like the Paul Newman, he could never be gay. Oh he's, no, he's, no, he's no, good friends, you know. No, like, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think a 1958 audience definitely, but 2022, I think that it's easier to pick up on. Yeah, but I would rather like get the full gay <laughs> than like the the sanitized gay. You know, I do want to look back to these these other characters that we've been referring to very briefly because i think we should talk <laughs> they're just so honestly, bad about them I'm talking about should we May tell people Google, real quick Cooper. should we tell people real quick what this movie's about <laughs> yeah i'll do it it's house of the daddy i said it already it's house of the daddy. It's like the farewell the first half is the farewell and then it becomes, it becomes house of the daddy yeah. it becomes house of the daddy <laughs> 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 um yeah 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 everyone like is Coming together for Borough Lives for Big Daddies. No, I gotta Big call my name. So his name is Big Daddy. <laughs> we're told that constantly. Big Daddy's birthday party. I think and I saw an IMDb trivia. It says like it said like like once a minute or something. Like more than once a minute. Like it's like it's excessive. <laughs> it's like three hundred times in the movie. And I think it's really funny that he, everyone calls him Big Daddy. Because I think to point out that the, the something to point out here is that the only other dad in this movie. Is Gooper. And you're always going to call a guy named... What? His name is Gooper. 
It's Cooper. What are the names in this movie? Okay, this must be a southern thing because Big Daddy is a kind of a... I wouldn't say it's a common thing to call your grandfather, but it's not uncommon either. I mean, these people named their kids Gooper and Greg. I'm not not defending Gooper. Gooper. I mean, Wikipedia does say that his name is Cooper and everyone calls him Gooper. But I, I don't know. No one well, in the movie ever call him Gooper. Their Gooper. accents, they call. They're like Goopa. Well, Goopa. no, I watched this with subtitles on because I want to make sure I caught everything. And the subtitles call him Gooper. Like there's a G. No, there is a G in the subtitles written that it's Gooper. Yeah, so, it's me, Gooper. Yeah, he's just Gooper. They don't call him Cooper. He's Gooper. He's anyway. So Gooper. Oh wait, no. Look, so Big Daddy. Big Daddy. We're, we're, we're talking about the story. Big Daddy had, I think, like an ulcer of some kind that he's getting checked out. If I remember right. It's on the liver, I think. It doesn't matter. He had a doctor's appointment. They say they give him a clear. Or maybe it's colon. I think it's colon. Um they give him the all clear. And then just kidding. We actually doesn't have the all clear. The doctor tells Gooper off screen and Brick. On does he tell that, Gooper? Or do, does Gooper know, or does is no, it? No, Gooper yeah. knows. Oh, he, he does. Gooper know. knows. And brick that dad's got cancer. Die. This it's actually the best. The part of the line is um, he goes, "It's malignant." <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> you know what? That's so, <laughs> um, but anyway, however, and then you know the second half is like we forgot a big part of the movie, which is uh. The actual first half of the movie, that that's all going on, but it's not the main plot till the second half of the movie. Because the first half of the movie is really about how um, Maggie the cat, who is constantly referred to as a cat by like everyone in the movie, and it's really annoying. Maggie and Brick are on the outs um, with their marriage. And, you know, initially I thought, because everyone, you know, the letterbox thing, it was like, oh, this is about sexuality. It must be because he's gay and he has no, like, actual interest in her. No, it's because he thinks that his best friend slept with her and then he committed suicide and he blames it on her, basically. And she's like, no, that didn't happen. No. Is that, and that's, that's what you got out of it? That's not I what I got I think it's a little bit it. more complicated. I mean, no. it is more complicated. I'm trying to sum it up really quickly no, so we can but talk I think, about May okay. and Gooper. <laughs> it is more complicated than that. You're right. It's like he, she was giving him more. No, he, Rick was giving their friend, his friend, um, what's it, Skipper, right? Skipper. Skipper. Mm-hmm. Skipper. He was giving yeah, Skipper more buddies. attention on their football team, um, than her, and she was jealous. Well, and it's then, it's stated in the play, but it's more implied in the movie that Skipper tells Brick that he loves him, and Brick hangs up on him. Yeah. And that, and that is that that part is implied. The thing is, to me, is I I don't know. I guess again, I'd have to read the play. But from what I've read about the play, I think it is implied they both like are together in the play. Whereas in this, to me, it feels more like it's more Skipper. Skipper. Yeah, Skipper has a crush on him, and he's like, "Yo, no, ew, gross," you know. And then he hangs up the phone on him. <laughs> like, um, and Brick's an alcoholic too. Yeah, that's also yeah. Important. Brick is yeah. He's he's just down in it this entire movie basically until around the end. But then, yeah, the second half of it is Big Daddy and Brick get into an argument where all the secrets come out, and that resolves annoyingly the stuff between Brick and Maggie. 
Well, it doesn't re- like it doesn't resolve it, but it puts it in this position where it can be put on hold basically for the rest of the movie. Because in this big argument, um, Brick lets it slip that he Big Daddy has terminal is terminal, and that sends Big Daddy into like a shock kind of thing with his um, colon, and they have to call the doctor, and then. <laughs> Then our two, our two people that we're going to talk about extensively once I'm done with this plot description, May and Gooper come in and go like, we have to settle the will with mom. And mom doesn't know yet. And that is bit, and well, that's well, he going on even with have Maggie. A, he doesn't even have a will. So they like wrote it we for We have to him. settle the inheritance. Yeah. Because yeah, right. Gooper is a lawyer. Yeah. And then downstairs, Brick and Big Daddy resolve their differences. Then there's an ending. Where lies are told, mendacity is told. That's that's. Mendacity. I don't know how many times mendacity appears. Smells in the of mendacity. Mendacity Smells like death. And I gotta say, the one time I related to me in this entire movie is at the very end when he goes, "It's called mendacity," and he goes, "I." She goes, "I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that means." And it ends with Elizabeth Taylor. Maggie lies about having a baby. And then she goes up, and Paul Newman backs her up. So she goes back up to their room. And May's and she's like, like Thank you, "You have sex too quietly." That's May. <laughs> That's not what she says. She says, "I don't have she sex." She doesn't at say because she can't say that with the haze. But you know what? She's implying. It no, she yeah. says. She says, "I like I hear him. I hear you pleading, and his, his him saying no." But no. But then he goes like, "I'm sorry that our love isn't loud enough for you," or something like that. Also, it's so, like I feel like that aspect is implied too. It's like kind of is it like explicit or implied that that uh, what's his name Brick is gonna get the whole inheritance? I it's pretty. I think it's implied, but it's pretty obvious. As long I mean, I guess well, no, because Big Dad will be dead by the time that baby's born. <laughs> but to me, I'm like, I guess if the baby's just as bad as the no next, maybe Big Dad will just give up. Well, the point is, is there isn't a baby. Right. And she thanks him for backing her up on the lie. And he ends the movie by saying, we're going to start having no lies. And then they kiss and it's like, ah, they're going to go have sex. Yeah. But like, to me, it implies like we're going to try again, maybe to have a baby because of the sex. Yes. And also he's putting, or at least to me, it felt like he is putting behind his, his, whether he's gay or whether he's bi, yeah, whatever label thing. we're going to put on it, I feel like that could obviously be brought out by the individual performer. He's putting that behind him, and he's going to become, you know, a patriarch, a paterfernelia. He's going to stop being a 30-year-old kid, so he'll become a 30-year-old yes. kid, which is repeated a couple times in the dialogue. Even though I think it's good dialogue, so repeat it. If you need to, Tim C. Williams, that's fine. That's good dialogue. Um, can we now talk about Gooper and May extensively? Because oh <laughs> these these people are terrible. It's just and it's something so where like, like you want to kind of give it like to me at least. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt initially. It's like oh they're being framed as the bad guys because these dysfunctional leads like there has to be like a villain for them. But then you're like oh no no these people are horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like so like just from an acting standpoint. Like, it's so unhinged, and it's just, like, it's literally just her, like, standing there, like, shouting her lines. 
<laughs> and it's just so uncomfortable to watch. I think okay, here's the thing. I don't think the acting is good, but I don't think it's bad. I think the I think it's intentionally meant to be like that. I, yeah, I will I think, say like, that. They're, they're meant to be obnoxious characters. And it's just like and you know they succeed. Like they are incredibly obnoxious. It's just so unhinged. Just watching her <laughs> scream her lines. And she's like, You're just jealous that you don't have babies. Which, by the way, yeah, that's that's the point where I feel like you finally... Because the kids are a little annoying before then, but the moment you realize, oh, no, it's because their parents are terrible, it's when, like, the kid comes and's like, you're just jealous that I can have babies and you can't, when it's, like, a six-year-old girl who says it. Um, and that's when I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, so these are terrible parents. Um, well, a like, six-year-old girl absolutely does not say that she can have babies. <laughs> she just says, what? you're upset that you can't have babies. I'm from whatever. I, I remember <laughs> clocking very specific. Maybe I, I misheard. I thought I, I'm 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 I don't I'm not willing to capitulate on that one. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're I just wrong, I, right? don't, one, I, like, don't mm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But and it's like I'm sorry. You guys keep telling me I misunderstood this movie. That was that hard to understand. I'm like I'm I'm sticking up for myself on this one. <laughs> I just don't uh, remember it. Um. But then also. I think we can, like, May is obviously obnoxious. Gooper. <laughs> Gooper's worse. Gooper's May knows what nuts. she wants, and she's going to fight for it. Gooper is a spineless coward. Gooper's a wife guy. No, He's a wife guy who constantly like, shut up, shut up, shut up to his wife. Well, that's, but it's then, it's continuing the cycle because Big Daddy is always like, shut up to Big Mama. That's so. Well, no, Ooh. yeah. And, I actually see that's I actually another the, thing. What? No, Sorry, go what ahead. We'll talk about the bull later. Well, I like the actually the big daddy, big mama stuff in here. And I like how it relates to them. And I think a better version of this might tone down Gooper in May. So that way that throw line is more clearly because I feel like I feel like Big Mama is actually her actress. Um, who is she? Um, Judith Anderson. I think she actually is probably the best besides Paul Newman of not doing a stage performance. Maybe I'm crazy on that, but I think she does a lot of good acting. Like when she's given, she's not told to match for lives. You know, I'm thinking very specifically when like she gets the news from the doctor, like it's big, but like, I don't know. I thought she was good. Um, I would say with both big mama and, uh, and may they're giving yeah, May's maybe a little over the top, but I've met people like them before. And I feel like they're tapping into tapping into a very real type of family member when and two very different types of family members too. Um, because Big Mama, I feel like, does have a certain amount of sincerity that May doesn't. It's just that Big Mama isn't a family full of unsincere people. And so when she has to kind of confront that at the end, it's definitely a very interesting turn. And I feel like the actress handles it very well. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Like, you know, I'm like, she's great. I just, I, you know, this is like an acting movie to me. And I know, Sarah, you don't agree. But like, the, it's like it's an acting movie. Acting it's an acting movie of its time. I'll say that. Well, I think even like, again, going back to like the comparison I made with Fences, I think you even watch Fences. Like, I think Denzel... It's fantastic in fences, but I also think if it's, if like, say, I'm not going into it knowing it's a play movie, I'm going to be like, Denzel, you're going so big on this constantly, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and I feel like that's true for a lot of play movies 
in general today and in the past. Like Glengarry Glen Ross, which I think is a good movie. I think there are definitely moments now where it's like, oh my gosh, this is like just shooting a play, you know? But I did feel a certain amount of atmosphere here from the set design, from the way the film was navigating this house and stuff. I, you know, I felt like I was in this kind of sweltering summer southern heat. And I think that while there's nothing technically here that's impressive, I wouldn't compare it to Fences, which feels like a movie where the camera is completely incidental to what's going on. Yeah, and I also think this movie does a really good job that I'd say both Fences and Ma Rainey's Back Bottom. I keep using those as my examples because those are like, to me, the modern like Oscar bait play movies that don't try to disguise it to play. I think this movie does a way better job of like, we're at an airport for this scene. We're at like, we're out in the rain in this scene, adding like some more drama to it. Like I'm like, and to me, both those sequences kind of just fit in. Like they don't stick out as like, oh, this must be what they added. Um, I think, I mean, I think the, I think the blocking during the rain scene is added, obviously, but I think the dialogue to me still feels natural. It's just probably normally it's like, he's just storming out the door. Well, I think the issue for me is like, so the very first scene of the movie is Paul Newman, uh, jumping over hurdles and he breaks his ankle. And then we get this dialogue in the, you know, in, in his scene with Elizabeth Taylor, where she says, you know, uh, you jumped over hurdles and you broke your ankle. And it just feels like it's trying to fill in these, these moments that we, that have happened, but it's like, you don't need that, that dialogue to supplement it. Then I found that I like the hurdle scene because it, it does some stuff with the sound that adds into like subjectivity and stuff. I do think it's definitely um, redundant or the dialogue afterwards is redundant. I did get a chuckle out of it as well because it did remind me of the beginning of Cool Hand Luke where it's just drunk Paul Newman going about doing some stupid stuff. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the scene in the movie I didn't like which was essentially everything in the basement between Big Daddy and uh, It just goes Rick. on and on and on and on. And that's a bit that I believe was added for this. Again, I have to read the play but apparently in the play they don't really reconcile. Um... And that I'm was like, one of Tennessee Williams' problems with this adaptation. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting because I I I, I think the movie might be better about a reconciliation, but because I presume the ending is the same in the play where he's like, all right, you get my inheritance because you're gonna have a kid. But you know what I mean? Like, so I don't think you need the reconciliation. I think having Big Daddy remain shallow and just be like, oh, well, if you're gonna have a kid, then I guess you can have it, you know? I think that's more interesting than me like. Dad, you've wasted your whole life. He's like, oh, yes, I did. You're right. Sarah, what? <laughs> no, it's just, I don't know. It just felt like like Big Daddy's entire character all of a sudden was like, you know what? I am going to be a good person. I am going to be a good husband. I am going to be a good dad. And it's just like. Yeah, because you're going to die like in a week. That's yeah, okay. why. <laughs> just this, like, like this guy was your motivation to start doing these things. Also, destroying things is wasteful. And that's a waste of money. <laughs> I mean, they had to they have to have a scene for Paul Newman to play as an Oscar clip because the rest of the movie he's so subdued. So, <laughs> although actually, there's a scene where he tears up really good. I think that'd be a good. I mean, also pre-Oscar clip existence. So, um, 
There's a big thing about Big Daddy that is notably missing from the movie that you could definitely tell. And that is, in the play, it was very, very shocking for audiences to hear uh, the word bullshit. Um, and obviously they could not put that in the movie. So there's multiple parts of the movie where they try and drop it like a bomb. Like, oh, they said it. And it's and people are like, watch your language. And it's just like, they just say bull. <laughs> like, it's just so, like, it just feels so, like, missing from the movie. Yeah, it's really, it's so silly. There's uh, also that part at the end where Big Mom is trying to, like, reassert control of a situation and she's like what's that word big daddy always uses like bull it's the word he uses every other <laughs> sentence you shouldn't have forgotten it you're married yeah to this man. and like i feel like again that that might work if it was like you know that line works if it's still bullshit you know yeah like it's like oh, i'm not used to saying this bad word but it's, it's bull it's not a bad it's just word. like and you know maybe bull at the time was probably like oh Maybe it was like crap or something like you can't say that. Although we did watch Guys and Dolls where they say crap all the time. But, um, you know, maybe it was like it's kind of like. <laughs> maybe it was kind of like, oh, it's like they how said it. You hear the F slur in like a British movie. And they're talking about cigarettes. It's it's like, oh, OK, whatever. <laughs> it just feels very silly whenever they try to use it as this big like, oh, they said it. Well, I think that's a load of bull, Sarah. <laughs> I do want to talk about one other thing about this movie until, well, unless you guys have other stuff you want to talk about, which is I want to talk about this being at a plantation and how that, like, I don't, I felt like it's interesting because I do think this is meant to be contemporary, like 1958, right? Right. And I just think it's really interesting to be like, this is a plantation where the guy built it up, he says, over. 65 years so it's like okay so you found this plantation probably in like the 1900s ish i don't know i just wanted to i don't really know what i have to say about it but i think it's a part of the movie that had me thinking it'd be interesting to do this without this sovereign setting like maybe set it in like an urban area or even like you know like revive it in it because i don't necessarily i think the story the core story doesn't need to be in this Area, I just feel like I mean? that's just that's just kind of the nature of Tennessee Williams. And I think like that's the family structure is so uniquely Southern. The play itself is written in dialect. So it just I'm more referring like if you were to like revive this today. Yeah. Thing, or if you were to make it today. Maybe. But the gender roles and the religiosity and even even like the way Big Daddy goes around and says bullshit feels very Southern to me. Um, and I, I think there's also something there about it being a plantation and the associations we have with that tied into kind of this. And maybe it's just using it as set dressing, but the, um, the ideas we have around like plantations and the antebellum South and all that stuff. I think it utilizes that to give us a better insight into these characters in a way that I'm having some trouble vocalizing right now. But I feel like you would lose something. Well, one thing I was curious about when I was looking at the Broadway cast of it, because I was also thinking that it'd be cool to revive it this way, and I think it has been revived, is the 2008 Broadway cast of revival of this is an all-black cast. 
with James Earl Jones' big daddy, Terrence Howard as Brick making his Broadway debut. I don't know how he was. Um, but Anika Anani rose as uh, Maggie. And then Flisher Rashad and Giancarlo Esposito were also in it. Can't believe it got... Now, well, because, you know, that's pretty, like, Giancarlo Esposito blowing up a Breaking Bad. John. Um, John Carlo. So he's he's Gooper. And, you know? Like, he's Gooper. Yeah, he's Gooper. What a waste. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know, that was He should five. be Big Daddy. I mean, now that'd be really... I, I, mean, I think James Earl Jones is harder. And the reason I also brought this up is, like, one thing I was like, it'd be kind of cool to remake this. I think it's been long enough that we could remake Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Um, but then I saw that apparently there is one in, being involved. It's going to be based on the 2008 revival. And the director is Antoine Fuqua, which immediately made me lose all interest. Uh, so I'm like, eh, can we not get a good director for this? Hey, but his Magnificent Seven is glorious. Are you excited for Emancipation? Emancipation on Apple TV Plus next week? I don't know. The review, everybody that I've seen is like, oh, it's so good. The only but, people have seen her like Rihanna. No I know. <laughs> and Dave Chappelle. Well, you know what? Like... It doesn't matter because we're never going to talk about it because it's not going to get nominated. We don't know that. <laughs> we, I, we really don't. That would be absolutely That would be very funny. That would be very funny if it was nominated because that would be so petty. <laughs> I mean, we would, I, I don't think it will be nominated either, but we can't be like, yeah, it's definitely not getting it. I just think based on the principle of it. I'm not saying because it's a movie about slavery. I'm saying that because it stars Will Smith. Do you think that, uh, you know how there was like the pure flicks version of Little Women that came out around the same time as the Greta Gerwig version? Are we going to get like a Daily Wire version of Cat on the Hot Tin Roof? Uh, is this in the public domain? No. Probably not. No way. Sadly, there's, not. I will say there's a um, Bollywood movie that is heavily inspired by Cat on a Hot Tin Roof called Kapoor and Sons. It's on Netflix. And Rishi Kapoor won Best Supporting Actor at the second, 62nd Film Fair. Okay, never mind. I thought this was like the Indian Academy, but it's just a magazine giving awards to Hindi Indian films. <laughs> so never mind. That's not that interesting. <laughs> um, but. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about this movie? Yes. What? Um, yes, I do. Okay, let's talk. Let me read the part of the Wikipedia page. <clears throat> Production began on March 12, 1958, and by March 19, Taylor had contracted a, violet, a virus which kept her off to shoot. On March 21st, she canceled plans to fly with her husband, Mike Todd, to New York, where he was to be honored the following day at the New York Friars Club. The plane crashed, and all passengers, including Todd, were killed. Beset with grief, Taylor remained off the film until April 14, 1958, at which time she returned to the set in a much thinner and weaker condition. Oh, gee. I actually, see, I only saw the first part of that one, so I just glanced over it. I was like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> like, that she got sick. Whatever. And I was like, oh! Not I'm, <laughs> I'm now terrified that... After every movie we watch, Sarah's just gonna come in after the discussion with a depressing fact. I, I just thought that you guys I'm, knew it's on the Wikipedia page. I thought you would have seen it. I'm looking it. at Mike Todd's page. Okay. Um, Can you imagine you being want... in that position where it's like you you would have been on that plane and you didn't go I on mean, it? 
We always hear about how Seth MacFarlane missed like the 9-11 thing, you know? Or Mark Wahlberg would have punched well, Mark the Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg's annoying about it. Like <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's an annoying guy, but he's never been like, oh yeah, I could have stopped it if I was there. <laughs> like he's always like, gave, oh my God, what if I was there? <laughs> who gave the big bopper their seat on the day the music died? Never mind, y'all. Well, I'll look it up. Uh, I love Don McQueen. But Mike, I'm looking at Mike Todd right now. He won Best Picture for Around the World in 80 Days because he was the producer of it. I like the fact that on his web his thing where it's like Elizabeth Taylor was his third wife and Todd was the third husband of Taylor, but he's the only husband Taylor had. She had seven husbands, so make that a six remake, uh, Broadway about the seven husbands of Elizabeth Taylor, uh, and it's the only one that Taylor did not divorce because he died. Um, but what I actually think is about his Wikipedia page is that he developed the Todd AO seventy millimeter widescreen, which I know um, Hello Dolly was shot in. Which I know is not really movie to be like, oh yeah, hello Dolly <laughs> Like it was great, but a very influential film format along the line of CinemaScope and other things. Movies produced in Todd AO besides Hello Dolly were Dr. Doolittle, The Bible in the Beginning, Cleopatra, and the most successful film. Well, there's two really successful films, Corgi and Bess, but the most successful film shot in Todd AO was Sound of Music. Oh, and Patton was too. I guess there were a lot of big movies here, but it was Waylon Jennings who gave up their seat uh, mm. in the plane crash that killed uh, Richie Valens and Buddy Holly and Big Bopper. Okay. Do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? Do you? No. I want to move on to our game. I want you to remind me what this is nominated for, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, sure. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director. Best Actor for Paul Newman, Best Actress for Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Cinematography Color. I will be extremely surprised if we don't all three say the same person. Maybe I will be wrong, but um, Paul Newman. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I was going to say Paul Newman. I mean, you can give the explanation more. I don't care. <laughs> um, I've already said it. I think that he's he's doing movie acting. He's got the perfect amount of subtlety he's just he does a very good job um when he doesn't have any dialogue which is always really just very enjoyable to watch um an actor just just be good at acting Caleb are you asking with Paul Newman or are you gonna go with someone else no Paul Newman he's good I mean yeah I, I I was gonna go to bat for Elizabeth Taylor here but Paul Newman is better uh if for nothing else, then her southern accent does leave something to be desired. Add a nomination, then. You know, I, it, it seems a little too easy, but Burl Ives is really good. I feel like he does a good t- job. There are some small moments where he kind of tones down his expressions from what I assume he did on stage, because I think they fit very well into frame. I don't think he's overblowing things. There are times uh, when he does perform it very big, but usually I feel like those. Uh, fit in with the character. So I'm going to go Burl Lives for supporting. I feel like we, I feel like we have not discussed what Burl Lives is up to six years later when he's in uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Just very important. I just wanted to bring I it did up. Keep, I did keep picturing the, the snowman. It looks so much like him. Wife. <laughs> the snowman looks so much like him. They did a great job. Um, I'm going to say uh, best 
uh, production design because I read on IMDb trivia that this was all built for the movie on a soundstage. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I was going to, so initially I was going to go for our lives and then I, then I saw really the thing where he won this year already. So it's like, I could pick him. I can go to bat for him. Cause I said, again, I said, these are three actors that are electric and then there are other actors who are good. Varying degrees of good, but I'm going to go with actually though, one of the actors I just said was good, which is Judith Anderson supporting actress. I think she's very good when the movie actually does focus on her. And I think by design, like there's the there's the one shot where she's walking away with the cake in her hands and like it should be ridiculous but she plays it very earnestly and i think she knows when to underplay it and when to go big i think that's a very good asset that the movie has when it cuts back as i said at the end we have two plot lines going on we have the one upstairs with her and Rupert and everyone and then we have the one downstairs with rick and big daddy and Burl lives and it's just like I'm not as into that as I am to her talking to everyone in that room. So I'll go with Judith Anderson and supporting actress for my next round. You guys want to know what we're doing next time? Yes, sir. Well, next time, we have another part of this episode of the 31st Academy Awards. It's another film with six nominations and no wins. Can I have a general plea to the film? Anti-Mame, directed by Morton DaCosta. Who has only only ever made three movies, which I think is fascinating. So, <laughs> um, but yes, this is anti-mame. Six nominations, no wins. It looks like it is a, is it just a comedy or is it a musical comedy? Just a comedy. Oh no, it says there's music in it too. I don't know. We'll find out. I guess. <laughs> yeah. You guys excited for anti-mame? Um, not really. No. Wow. There's only like one recognizable. I guess maybe we'll recognize some of these actors, but it's really only Rosalind Russell who's like the recognizable one. Well, the director of it is Morton DeCosco. One of his other films is The Music Man. So that's why I thought it might be a music. Oh. Man. Yeah. Not, not bad for only doing three, three films. That makes me think he might have died, honestly. So I'm like, wow, The Music Man really? is like, The Music Man is fantastic. So maybe I am a little excited. Yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, so yeah. Um yeah, we'll do anti-mame next time. Find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my reviews of all the movies. You can also listen to my other podcasts, Looking for the Ocean at Pixar Journey, where we look for the ocean while talking about Pixar. That's that's all I got. I have a play coming out soon, but none of, no one listening to this podcast can drive to it, so there's no reason for me to advertise it. <laughs> still an accomplishment to be proud of hey guys i'm caleb you can find me at caleb from the real world on instagram and youtube and from there you can find my litany of other podcasts hot trash unlimited star wars therapy and all new 52 which i do with our editor joe thanks joe thanks joe we love you joe okay (laughs) (laughs) joe we love you you can find me on instagram uh, I'm not really on Twitter these days, but you can also find me there, I guess. Um, SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. On Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Knopf. Um, You can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, uh, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast. Are we still on Twitter? Snub Club Pod. Look at our, old, look at our old tweets. I haven't even deleted my own Twitter yet, <laughs> so <laughs> that one's still up. <laughs> just look at our old tweets if we don't ever post again. Yeah, I don't shut down that account. 
I might shut down my own, but I wouldn't shut down our stuff photo account. That can still be up. Who cares? All right. So next time, Auntie Me, get hype. Yep. Woo! Have a holly jolly Christmas. But this episode's coming up before Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs>